The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. We took a week off to do a little vacationing, Chad, but now we're back. What's going on, man? Vacationing and illness. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, you, you were in Hawaii. I was in Europe, and then I came back and immediately got COVID. And so I wasn't even sure I was going to make it to record this week. People who listen to, to First Pitch know I recorded Friday, and I was like, I'll be back with you Saturday. I've got a cold, but I'm fine. And by <laughs> Saturday morning, I was just like... Yeah, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> there was just so no way. the story goes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I was back. I recorded Sundays, so I'm, I must be okay. Good. On the mend. And this is exciting because yeah. we usually don't record the day before we send the pod. Sometimes we do, but this is like the freshest content we'll have because most of the games today have been played anyway. Yeah. Um, and today, Chad, we're, we're diving into kind of, I guess, two different things. We're looking at players who are performing really well and wondering, like, is this real? Like, are these guys actually this good? Or, you know, is this kind of fool's gold and we should sell high? I can tell you right now that one name that sticks out to me is Christopher Morrell, who I've been I've been trying to figure out for about a month now. And then we're going to look at some guys later in the show who performed exceptionally well in June. And Chad, as you pointed out, when we were talking before the show, there's not a lot of surprising names there, but there are a few that stick out, especially guys who maybe we're holding out hope for and are finally starting to produce like Jose or Kitty. But Chad, let's start with these names that we're wondering, are they real? Are these guys real? And let's start with Christopher Morrell. I, mean, I wanted to hear your thoughts on him because he is a he's a unique case. Yeah, I mean, he you know he's he's almost twenty four years old, so he's not he's not old, but he's not young. He isn't really a prospect. Like, I don't know. He he he's on prospect lists because, but like team lists, right? He's not on any like top hundreds. He's on just going back in December on Fangraphs. On their top 49 Cubs prospects. Yes, you heard me right. Their top 49. They had Christopher Morell at 16th. 16th is like, you know, 16th best prospect for an organization is not a guy you're relying on to be a, a major league contributor. And he's been more than just a contributor. I mean, he's been, you know, he's got a, a 282 average, 339 on base, 500 slugging. He's got eight home runs. And seven stolen bases in in roughly a third of a season's worth of playing time. I know we're halfway through the real season, but he's only played about a third to- of season total. So, like, he's putting up like a 
2020-25-25 type season so far with a 280 average. Like that's that's pretty great and it seemingly came out of nowhere because honestly he wasn't even that good in like double A last year. Like he's better in the majors right now than he was in double A last year, let alone triple A last year. So sort of shocking. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's going to come down to the strikeouts, right? I mean, I want to give you the six-game yeah. sample that he recently went through that, like, just sums up the Christopher Morell experience. So this was last week. This was between June 25th and July 1st. So on the 25th, 26th, and 28th, he faced St. Louis, St. Louis, and Cincinnati. First game, one for five, three strikeouts. Second game, 0 for four, two strikeouts. Third game, one for five, four strikeouts. So he went and struck out nine times over three games. That was nine strikeouts in 14 at-bats. And I dropped him at that point. I said, all right, finally, the strikeouts are catching up to this guy, and it must be must be nothing. His next three games, two against Cincinnati, one against Boston, two for four, two runs, a home run, two RBI. Next game, five for five, three runs, a home run, two RBI. Next game, one for five, a home run, one run, three RBI. And only two strikeouts over those 14 at-bats. So he is like all over the place. And I was listening to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, and Chris Towers made a good point looking under the hood of Christopher Christopher Morell. And it's actually something that kind of makes me lose confidence in him because strikeouts are obviously an issue. And so I looked and it's like, is this something that can be fixed? Maybe he's chasing too much and we got to get him to stop chasing. His chase rate is actually like better than average. His chase rate is 26.4%. The major league average is 28.3. His zone contact is 69.3. The MLB average is 82%. So when they throw it in the zone, he has a really hard time making contact. He's electric. When he makes contact, he's very fast, can get on base, can clearly hit for power. At some point, though, Chad, you got to think this catches up to him. Yeah, that swinging strike rate is definitely scary to say the least. I mean, he's running a swing strike rate of 16.2%, I believe. I should double check that. Hold on. 16.1%. Good thing I Yeesh. checked. Oof. You don't want to you don't want to punish him for 16.2 when it's only 16.1. <laughs> but. He would have called into the show. Yeah. <laughs> but like 16.1%, I mean, you can survive worse than that. But that would be there's only 11 guys with a higher swinging strike rate than that so far this year. And none of them are really performing particularly well. Mm-hmm. Luis Robert has a 16.5% and he's been okay. But like Luke Voigt not having the year people expected. Avisel Garcia hasn't been good. Javier Baez hasn't been good. Chris Taylor hasn't been good. Salvador Perez hasn't been good. Like it's hard to stre- swing through that many pitches and produce. Morell's doing it for now, but I, I'm, I'm, man, I, I don't know. I've been nervous about this for like a month. I wrote him up on on Fangraphs a month ago as a guy who was being picked up in Otter New Leagues, and at the time was like, I don't know. I'm a little worried about the strikeouts. I'm worried about playing time. We'll have to see. I think there's gonna be some regression. I would bid, you know, a couple bucks and just see what happens. And if you did that, then you're very happy and you've been riding that that hot streak this entire time, and that's great. But I don't know. I still feel like it's not gonna last, but like at what point do I have to just say, okay, maybe he's figured out a way to manage that? Yeah. Yeah. And and so I actually ended up I dropped him and then I used my fifth waiver claim to bring him back. 
felt aggressive that high of a waiver claim, but I did it. And obviously he, I got at least one of those homers back. Cause of course, you know, you drop a guy and then he goes five for five with a home run and you feel like an idiot. But, um, but yeah, Christopher Morrell, I guess one final kind of note on him is that for at least four of the last five games, and it might be more than that, he has batted ninth in a bad Cubs lineup. So vol- if volume becomes an issue for him, you know, then all of a sudden that 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 kind of raises the concern level. But you're right. If you got him cheap, just kind of ride the wave and, and see what happens. Chat, out of these players that we listed, if you got nothing else on, on Morrell, is there a player you wanted to tackle next? I want to talk about Nico Horner only because... I literally just had a conversation with Niv in the Niv Shah, the, the creator of Auto New and the team that we co-manage about whether or not we wanted to cut Horner. And he was like, why would we want to cut Horner? And I was like, I don't know. We're never using him because we're not because on that team, I just like th- this team we have our, our middle infield has been for the most part. Xander Bogarts and Francisco Lindor at shortstop and middle infield. And then we've got. Uh, a handful of guys that have been moving it around at second base. The primary guy has been Cattell Marte. Jerickson Profar has been pretty good for us. Now we've got Isaac Paredes, who we're also going to talk about this episode, who's who's been great. And so Horner's just sort of been the odd man out. We just haven't really used him. And I did not notice that he's been awesome until you pointed it out. Yeah, he's been on fire, especially recently. I, I just worry about these like narrow focused players and what i mean by that is like you're only getting really one category out of so i see you know the sprint speed is in the 92nd percentile and he does have six stolen bases and that excites me he's only been caught stealing once so you know six for seven is not is not bad that'll that'll do it but he's gonna have to really steal bases chad i think to be worth it in your standard category leagues yeah he, he does not have power right i mean he's got he has four home runs this year that puts him on pace to like you know maybe get to 10 something like that if he gets to 10, it'll be the first time he's gotten anywhere near that. Like his career, including the minor leagues, across all levels since 2018, he has 12 home runs. Heesh. That is 12 home runs across every level, across five seasons, including this year. So those four are like, it's a lot for him to have four. He, he might be on pace for 10, but he's not going to get there, I don't think. Yeah, I'd bet so, against that. Yeah. So it's just that that's just not his game. And the Cubs are so bad that like he's not going to score a lot and he's not going to drive in a lot of guys because there just won't be opportunities for that to happen. And so, yeah, I mean, you're very reliant in, in a standard five by five. You're very reliant on him carrying you an average. And like, I don't know. I. It's not... It's not an average that I don't know. It's not a category I want to be like spending a ton on. Especially like it'd be one thing if you told me he was gonna hit 350 and he was gonna, you know, do some real damage on average, but he's hitting 312. He projects to be more like a 290 to 300 hitter, maybe. I don't know. I I think he's a more useful real player than he is a fantasy player. I do think he plays up a bit in auto new, right? The the league where I just said I was thinking about cutting him. He's been almost at six points per game over the last 30 days. And that's, you know, without the power, right? That like, but in that case, his getting hits, his avoiding strikeouts, the walks, the few stolen bases he chips in, a handful of extra base hits. Like there's enough there that it starts to add up. And, but even so, the reason I haven't really been 
noticing him is because I haven't been using him because I still don't trust him as much as the guys I mentioned before. Yeah, he's a fine guy to slot in and, and maybe collect a couple of hits uh, when you're starting second base when a shortstop has a night off. But I, I guess I'd be more intrigued if the walk rate was higher, but he's walking at less than a 5% clip, which tells me those stolen base opportunities are going to be even fewer. Because, you know, if you're hitting 300, that's great. But if you're hitting 300 with whatever his OBP is, 347, like, you know, okay. But if you're not going to do anything else, I I need a higher OBP. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's it's a a solid OBP. It's a solid offensive profile, right? It's a 114 WRC plus. It is an above average offensive profile. It is is hard to argue with it, but it is not a fantasy offensive profile. And that's, that's where I just think... I don't know. I, I worry that this isn't for real, that the strikeout rate is going to bounce back up to the sort of 15 to 20% range that it's been in for much of the rest of his career. I, and and when it, if it does that, then the average starts to fall. And if the average starts to fall, then he's giving you nothing. Right. Like nothing, nothing. So I, my, my issue with him isn't so much, I guess I shouldn't say that I'm worried that he's not for real. I think he probably is legit. I just don't know that the upside is big enough to take the risk that he's not legit. Because if he's not legit, then you get nothing from him. And if he is legit, you're talking about empty average. So like, is that really a gamble you want to make? Yeah, I I, I don't think he's a he's a tough case to really crack. And it, it comes back to what you said. Ultimately, your, your point here is that he's a better real life baseball player. He's got speed and he tries to put the ball in play. And it just shows you look at his chase rate, you look at his chase contact rate. They're all not just above average. They're pretty well above average. He swings more than your average hitter. And and I think that's just what his game is. And that is not a game that is tailored to fantasy baseball. So if you're really desperate for stolen bases and, you know, you already roster like Schwarber and Judge and Alonzo. And so you feel like you can sneak Alonzo or, or you can sneak corner in there to steal a couple bases, then OK. But otherwise, I'm I'm not terribly interested. You did bring up. Isak Paredes, who I think is interesting if, if you got nothing left on Nico Horner. Sweet. So Paredes had a terrible May. Uh, you know, he was he was traded to Tampa Bay for Austin Meadows. And I don't remember reading a lot about that trade, but I imagine the Rays took a little bit of heat for that because, you know, Meadows was viewed as a potential monster breakout a couple of years ago. He had the great shortened season and then just kind of disappointed, especially in the power department now as a Tiger. But Paredes did not look like a stroke of genius for the Rays in May. He hit 208. He did swat three homers, but he was not great. He was not great. And then June happened where I don't know what happened. The average wasn't great. He hit 271 and he has not even attempted a stolen base this year, but he had that three homer game earlier, or I guess about halfway through the month in the second second half of the month, actually. But eight homers, 14 RBI, 11 runs. Uh, he was getting on base. It was a monster month for him, and he's almost kept it up so far in July. I haven't seen what he did today, but going into today, four for 15, which isn't great, but he did already hit two home runs in July. So, Chad, where are you at with Paredes, a third base eligible player, by the way, who uh, that part of it is huge. Yeah, and in Otto New and some other formats, he's second base eligible as well. And so second and third is just a that's a pretty glorious combination. And so I, I've got him in a number of places. I've been very happy with him. I am debating whether or not I should be using him as a trade piece. And the reason for that is there are some sort of worrying signs, but then there's some positive signs. So start with this. His home run per fly ball rate is 27.7%. That is very high. And 
if I ignore a 12 plate appearance sample from a ball last year and just look at every other stop he's had in his minor league or major league career, he has never had a home run per fly ball rate over 14.7%. That was last year in AAA. Most of his career, it's been below 10%. Now, part of that is, you know, he's 23 years old. He's still maturing. Power develops late. Lots of reasons to think his power is growing, but I don't think he actually hits the ball quite hard enough to justify that home run per fly ball rate. So his max EV is 110.4. 110.4 is not a bad max EV by any means, but it's not elite, right? And that 27.7 home run per fly ball rate is elite. And I, so you know, I worry a little bit that you look at him and you say, okay, here's a guy who's got 70th percentile max exit velocity and his home run per fly ball rate is, you know, among the best in baseball, right? So I said, let's pull up our, our league leaders in home run per fly ball rate, 27.7%. He doesn't qualify. He hasn't been up enough, but that would be fourth behind Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Jordan Alvarez, and just ahead of Vlad Guerrero. It's good uh, company. He, yeah. But the problem is that those guys, <laughs> those guys can support it, right? And I don't think he quite can. I mean, you look at the max EVs on those guys, they are 118.4 for Judge, 119.8 for Stanton, 117.4 for Alvarez, and 117.9 for Vlad. Like, those are all seven to ten miles per hour harder at the max than what Paredes is doing. So I, I do think he has more power than he's shown in the minors. I do think that some of this power outbreak is legit. I do not think that he can maintain this kind of power production. And right now he's not doing enough else. Like his on base percentage is just 301. Oof. Some of that is BAPIP. He has a 195 BAPIP. That won't continue either. So that's what I'm saying. Like, There's some positive signs here too. I think that there's a decent chance that that on-base percentage comes up. He doesn't really have major strikeout issues. He's a 17.3% strikeout rate. Based on his minor league numbers, I don't see any reason to expect that to, to change. His 6.8% walk rate I think will actually increase, especially with the power. Right At some point, pitchers are not going to be quite so forthcoming to him and and he's going to get more walks because of that but like i don't know you go look at his his stack cast data and his his slugging it's 615 his x slugging is 424 like i said i think he can out hit i think he'll have more power than people expected him to have maybe or then maybe than the average fan expected him to have i know there were people who were high on him but i just don't think he can keep this up and since i don't think he can keep this up He's got to get more walks in order to sort of maintain his spot in the lineup, to be honest. Like the Rays move people around so much. So I like Paredes. I don't feel any urgency to move on from him because I think he's a good player and I think he'll continue to be a good player. But in leagues where I have him and I have depth at middle infield or third base, I might be shopping him as a sell high. Yeah, if I could if I could get something for him, I would definitely be in the same camp. I, I was looking at his profile, and uh, he doesn't. Uh, I gotta hesitate and, and make this very clear. It doesn't remind me too much of Nolan Gorman for two reasons: because Paredes barely strikes out, Gorman strikes out all the time, 
and Gorman just hits the ball infinitely harder. I mean, Gorman is one of the most impactful hitters already at second base on contact. Paredes clearly isn't that. But something that Paredes shares in common with Nolan Gorman is the fly ball rate and the pull rate. And so do I think his BABIP is going to continue to go up? Well, you're right. I don't think it's going to stay below 200. But I think his BABIP is going to be kind of capped because his fly ball rate is, you know, 40 or no, I'm sorry, not 40, 32%. His line drive rate is only 13. Obviously, that's costing him a little bit. Uh, That's because he's popping the ball up a lot, which obviously is not going to help. He's got a pop up rate of 12%. And that's that's bad. And it's been that way the last two years. But if he is hitting a ball, if he's hitting balls enough in the air and pulling them, that will help him maintain some power considering he does not hit the ball so hard. It's obviously why I like Gorman more because Gorman not only pulls it and hits a ton of fly balls, but he hits it really hard. But I think Paredes can preserve some of that power, but I'm still with you. If, if there's somebody knocking on my door for him because they're desperate for a third baseman and think he's breaking out, you know, wouldn't be surprising if the Rays uncovered another gem, right? Then I'd, I'd be okay moving on from him. But I'm also okay just kind of riding this out and see where it goes because I, I, I like the adjustments he's made. Yeah, in terms of his batted ball quality and that, that you know, high pull rate without sort of elite exit velocities, there's a little bit of a a young Jose Ramirez in here where Ramirez, like for most of the first few years of his career, wasn't really hitting the ball over 110 very often at all. He was running barrel rates a little bit lower than what Paredes is at now, actually. The difference is that Jose Ramirez had an elite, elite hit tool. And he never, you know, he doesn't strike out. He walks a ton. Like the on-base skills are just much better and the lack of strikeouts puts him in a better spot. But a similar, so I'm not saying that Paredes is going to be Jose Ramirez. That's That'd be a, a crazy comp to put on him. But I do see some similar things where Ramirez has always outperformed what you expect his power to look like because he elevates the ball and he turns on the ball and he he hits it hard down the line, basically. And that's the easiest place to hit home run. It doesn't have to go as far. And so there is some of that with Paredes. And because of that, I like I said, I, I think he's solid. I think he's good. I would like to have him. If I'm if I'm rebuilding, I would love to have him and and keep him long term. If I'm competing right now and I've got him on my roster, I am perfectly happy to have him. But if there's somebody out there looking at him and thinking that he is a you know, he's on a like what does he have? He's got 13 home runs and 133 plate appearances over a full season. That's like that's like a 50 home run pace. If someone wants, you know, no one's going to pay for that. But if somebody thinks that like, I bet he's got 40 home run power, I I would trade him, right? I would, I would sell if somebody thinks he's going to be one of the league leaders in home runs. I just don't think that's who he is. Yeah, fair. And if folks are listening and they're, you're thinking, you know, ah, Chad and Pete, I think they're off on this one. I don't think there's anything special about Parides. I, I have no interest. I would say his Two years in Detroit in 2020 and 2021, he had 193 plate appearances. Not a lot. He had one barrel. That's it. In 193 plate appearances, he had one barrel. So far with Tampa Bay this year, we're talking just 138 plate appearances, so about 60 less. He already has nine barrels. So some adjustment was made and something's clicking for him. I'm in the same camp as you, Chad. I'm enjoying holding on. If I got a rebuilding team, I want to see where it goes, but... I mean, if somebody thinks that he's a 40 home run hitter, then I think you have to move on. Everybody's got a price. Everybody's got a price. And so that leaves a Red Sox. Well, it shouldn't leave. We got a few names here we got to talk about. But I really wanted to talk about Jaron Duran because I was becoming a little bit 
annoyed. That's not the right word. Frustrated, feeling like maybe Durant's not going to be anything. Maybe we kind of missed out here. Uh, or we got too excited on a guy who really didn't have a lot of prospect pedigree, wasn't very hyped up, and then started to be put on the map. I think it was actually Adam Howe on our show over a year ago at this point who who first mentioned Jaron Duran on the Keeper Cut podcast. And, you know, as last season went on, he was tearing up the minors, but every time he got an opportunity with the Red Sox, it was brutal. And a large reason for that, or the most significant reason for that, is his strikeout rate. Like he's absolutely dynamic when he puts the ball in play. He's he has to be one of the fastest like five players in baseball. He is unbelievably fast. But that's no good if you never put the ball in play and you're striking out. And so I tweeted this out yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. That his K rate this year, and I don't think he struck out yet today. I could be wrong on that. Through his first three at-bats, he did not. So this has probably only gone down. But his strikeout rate, going into today anyway, was 17.7%. We'll take that. Now, it's only 62 plate appearances, like the tweet says. But as you know, Chad, and we've talked about this in the past, you know your, your plate discipline metrics can begin to stabilize pretty quickly. The more important number, though, is the swinging strike rate. And not even at the major leagues. But last year in AAA, a, a reason why so many people were hesitant to jump in on Jaron Duran was because his swing strike rate at AAA was 15.4%. I think when he got called up, it was north of 16. That's terrible. That's awful. However, this year in AAA, it's down to 12.1. Now, I don't know what league average swing strike rate is, especially at AAA where pitching's not as great. Obviously, it's, it's actually been pretty bad. But 12.1, we'll take that. And the fact that it looks like it might be carrying over into the major leagues, and we're starting to see that power come back for Duran here, I'm all of a sudden thinking this guy could be the opposite of like a Nico Horner, where maybe he's less valuable for the Red Sox, which I'm not ready to say. I think he still could be pretty valuable. His fielding seems to improve every day, but he's going to be tremendously valuable in your rotisserie leagues because he's fast as hell, and he hits for power, and now he's striking out less. Yeah, I I mean, Duran, it's always been a question of getting getting the time, right? Was he going to get a real shot to play? And he hadn't been forcing the Red Sox hand. Like he played well in AAA, but like I said, it wasn't really performing in the majors. And so I don't know. It was hard to fault Boston for not giving him more time. Then he got this like very brief cup of coffee in early May. He got one game, went one for five, got a couple games in early June across those two games, went three for nine. And then since mid June, He's been up more or less nonstop. He just it still isn't really getting consistent playing time, right? He's been up since, let's see, June 15th he played. It is now July 3rd, and he has just in the last couple weeks started to play consistently, right? Like he's playing today. He played yesterday and the day before. He was off for a few days before that. He played the 26th, 25th, 24th, was off before that, 22nd, 21st, 20th, like He's just sort of been on and off. Some of that is team off days, obviously. But it feels like just in the last like week, maybe, they're going to start giving him regular plate appearances. And so now I'm very intrigued by him again. Because if he doesn't get that regular time, it's just hard to get a read on him, right? It's hard to know, is, is a couple of hot games a couple of hot games, or has he actually turned a corner unless he plays enough for us to see what that looks like? Right now, it looks like he's legitimately turned a corner, but I, I just want to see him play every day. Part of the issue with Duran was that he was not vaccinated. So those right, three he missed days. the Toronto series, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a big chunk of time missed. And he was on fire because was it, this, it must have been the series actually against you guys where he was 
he was lighting it up. He looked great. Even in the game, he went 0 for 5. He was making plays in the field. I, the interesting thing will be when Enrique Hernandez comes back because Alex Cora has a fascination with batting Enrique Hernandez leadoff. If Duran is still leading off and playing consistently when Hernandez comes back, then I don't think you got anything to worry about. I think he's, he's locked in, and the Red Sox want him to be, obviously. Uh, they they want him to be their starting center fielder. They want him to be useful in the field. He, he, I will say he's at no risk of losing playing time to JBJ at this point. Jackie Bradley Jr. just broke, a, I think it was an 0 for 26 streak with, the, with like a big double the other day, but I, we might be pretty close to him getting DFA'd, if not outright permanently benched with Hernandez coming back. So you're right. We need to see the consistent playing time, especially to see that K rate stabilize and see where it's going to end up at. But I do think he's in the driver's seat right now to maintain it as long as he continues to perform. Yeah. And, and with that, I mean, his performance has been super positive, right? I mean, you look at his season long line, the only real red flag is a 417 BAPIP, although I do suspect he'll run generally high BAPIPs when with consistent playing time, just not that high. I, I think there's some upside in the home run per fly ball rate. But other than that, I mean, the walk rate could be a little better, but it's fine. The strikeout rate's been fine. He's getting on base. He's hitting for some decent power. He's stealing bases. Like He's doing all the things you'd want him to do. So, you know, let's watch. Let's see what happens as the BAPIP stabilizes, as the home run per fly ball rate hopefully comes up. Let's see if he can maintain the strikeout gains. Like that's that, as you said, is sort of the biggest thing. But I'm optimistic right now. As long as he's playing, I'm very happy to have him on my teams. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. I mean, especially in the rotisserie leagues where like Jorge Mateo, who is a terrible, well, I shouldn't say terrible, but uh, he's definitely a terrible real life hitter. For fantasy, he obviously has the stolen bases. Earlier in the year, he was being a little bit more useful, but right as he's really started to trail off lately, I mean, he's been he's been kind of brutal. It's like Duran has filled that void for me in my rotisserie leagues when available, and he's obviously been better because he does more than just steal bases. So if you are somebody who's been rostering like a Jorge Mateo or you just lost Ezekiel Duran, you were expecting stolen bases from him and he got sent down, I think Duran at the very least fills those shoes if that's what you were looking to get. Chad, you got Duran in any spots? I don't. I had him a couple places last year, and this year I just was too slow to buy back in. And at this point, I don't know that he's available really anywhere for me. I mean, I'm looking at my my auto new leagues, and he is, and those aren't even like those aren't even five by five. That's not even like his best format by any means. But he's rostered in all my auto new leagues, my CBS keeper league that I that I love. He's he's a, he's not available there. So I'll have to take a look. Maybe, maybe somewhere. Maybe he's available somewhere, but I don't I don't have him anywhere right now, and it looks like I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just it is what it is. Uh if you missed out at this point, I don't think he's gonna be a free agent in any of the rotisserie leagues, but that's interesting that he's rostered even the odd new points. Cause I, I remember seeing it or he was offered to me. I was like, eh, I don't think he plays well in this format, but he is, he's heavily rostered. So Chad, we're gonna start talking some June performers, but let's let's start with the pitchers. So we've been talking a lot of bats. I think our last episode where we broke down like, you know, victory laps and all that. Most of those guys were bats, too. So let's let's shift to a little bit of pitching. But before we do, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. Hey, Alex Fast here. And thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad free website and get access to our discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible pitcherless community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year round for as low as eight dollars a month. You can sign up at pitcherless.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with 
with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Keeper Cup podcast. Right back, Pete Ball, Chad Young, chatting. July, no June performers. I'm off on my timing here. I'm, I'm already ready for we July. July to be performers over. too, but it's uh, yeah, it's not a small sample. sample. <laughs> yeah, the best player in baseball is Christopher Morell, I guess. If if we're just going to be talking <laughs> July, but Chad, we were talking about a couple of Houston Astros pitchers, and I don't want to start with the obvious one, which is Christian Javier, because he's tapped into something. I mean, he's he's on fire, and we can certainly chat about him. But I want to talk about Jose Urquidy, who. I wasn't really in on uh, going into the season. I thought his his price was a little too pricey for me. I want to say he was going around the around pick 200. I don't know where in starting pitcher ranks. I get the attraction. He should be a decent quality start guy. He's still pretty young. He's only 27 years old, so his best years could be you know ahead of him. But early in the season, I felt pretty good about that. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I, I passed on Urquidy, even as he was following my draft. I didn't want anything to do with him. And I look like I'm right. And now I kind of look like a fool because he's been awesome his last three outings. His, his ERA and whip continue to go down. They don't look great right this second, but they continue to improve. And then I look at his stack cast sliders. They're kind of a disaster other than the walk rate. I don't know. Where are you at with Urquidy? Have your thoughts since the beginning of the season changed at all? Anything you're seeing on Jose Urquidy? So, you know, Arkiti, I mean, part of Arkiti's value is that Eno Saris's stuff plus, you know, stat metric or whatever it is, stuff plus and, and command plus stuff really likes him. And so Eno's always been sort of high on him. And so that gets a lot of pub through the athletic and through everything Eno does on Twitter and stuff. And so Arkiti gets boosted, I think, in part because of that. Because I've always felt like his value is higher than what his production would lead you to believe, right? He had that that solid 2020. It was just five starts, 30 and less than 30 innings. But other than that, he's been sort of meh. Like he hasn't been great, but he's been fine. And it's not a it's not a profile, like it's a low strikeout profile. So it's not a profile that fantasy managers usually get all like geared up about. And so I've stayed away from him. And so then, like I said, like I look at, you know, what he was doing up until like we're talking about June performances, but for him it was really through like late June, right? Through June 14th. He gave up three runs on five hits and six innings at Texas that day. Through that day, he had a 4.99 ERA, a 4.82 FIP. He was striking out 6.9 hitters per nine and walking 1.76 per nine. So these last three starts, as you said, he's been really good. He has only given up one earned run per start. He's made had three straight quality starts. Like It all looks really nice. He's still only striking out 7.58 per nine, and his walk rate has actually jumped to 3.32 per nine. He's walked three guys in each of his last two starts. Now, one of those is against the Yankees. The Yankees are really good at drawing walks, so like, fine. I'm, I'm willing to sort of, maybe that's all that is. He has a 4.60 FIP still. Like, the ERA is down to 1.42, but I'm not sure he's actually that different. Like, I'm not sure this run is that different from other periods of time he's gone over the season. He hasn't strung together three straight starts like this from an ERA perspective, 
But from an FIP perspective, he's done better than this. From a walk perspective, he's done better than this. I think he's even had a three straight start run where he had more strikeouts than this. He has. So like this, there's a little bit of like, okay, but this time he sort of put it all together, but not really. It's just ERA. It's really like, it's literally just his ERA and I guess his whip, right? He's got 15 or sorry, 19 innings pitched and only 14 hits plus walks. So it's whip and ERA. The last three starts have been very good. But the underlying numbers are still sort of the same. Now, he was better than he looked through mid-June, right? So like, you know, his 4.99 ERA he had through mid-June is not reflective of the pitcher he is. Neither is the 1.42 ERA he has since then. And so really, as hot as he's been, nothing for me has changed. He's still the guy I thought he was, and I'm still lower on him than most. Now, Maybe that's not true anymore. Maybe I'm actually higher on him than most because a lot of people are bailing on him and I still think he's fine. But that's all I think he is. I think he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a guy I'm, I'm buying in on. You know, the swing strike rate against the Yankees and against the Mets, two of those last three outings that have been so good were, were 8% and 7.7% there against the Mets. Again, two great offenses, sure. And it did go up to 135 against LA, uh, not the Dodgers, the Angels, which I don't even know if that's impressive anymore the way they've been hitting. So it's not like anything's jumping off the page. And you look at the profile, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm on StatCast and gives up a ton of fly balls that's not going to help him that that fly ball rate this year is 30 percent. it's going to make him homer prone guys are pulling him at a 43 percent clip and look at his fastball so he throws his fastball 53.8 percent of the time it has an expected batting average against of 334 it has an average exit velocity against of 93.8 miles per hour with a launch angle of 23 degrees i mean this is this is home run derby pitching so that concerns me and and so if you look at his last three outings you think i can buy low on urquidy maybe you can especially if you need wins i think he's going to be a decent source of wins there's no way to predict that right but the astros are awesome and this is a guy who routinely pitches pretty deep into games but it's gonna have to be pretty unique circumstances for me to start hunting jose urquidy any other thoughts there chad he just went up for auction in one of my out of new leagues so league 670 it's a saber points league which means it's just walks, home runs, and strikeouts that matter. There's no like hits. It's it's basically a like a, a you know avoid BAPIP issues league because singles, doubles, triples they don't mean anything. Only home runs, walks, and strikeouts matter. He has been pretty bad in that league this year, as he has been overall anywhere. But his last four outings there have been decent, not great, but decent. He doesn't really strike out enough guys, and he's had too many walks recently to to really have high value there. But he just went up for auction in that league at a four dollar minimum bid. Like, I think I might throw four bucks at him. Yeah, like I think he's he's an innings eater. He's a guy I can count on going out there. I think when he gets good matchups and can avoid walks, he'll put up good scores. But I don't feel the need to like go bid ten dollars. I don't need like I'm not I'm not oh, like God, no. anxious to go get him. And if I bid four and someone beats me to him and he goes for five or six, fine. I just I like I don't I don't care that much. The only reason I'm really interested is because I feel like pitching has been really hard to come by right now. When I look at the free agents in all my outer new leagues, there's just no pitching available. And so I'm sort of tempted to go get him just to like have another arm. Yeah, no, that's a real concern, actually. I mean, it's funny you say that because I was just right before we started recording I was going to stream Jose Quintana today um, because he was going to be going against the Brewers and, and he's been on a little bit of a streak. He actually could have been some guy we could we could talk about for this. 
but he ended up getting scratched and so he's going to face the Yankees. So I'm going to drop him. And so I went to see who could I stream for next week. The most rostered pitchers that are available in my 16 team league, the top six of them and the top top eight of the top nine are all on the IL. So this is a this is a serious situation where I'm with available pitching. Yeah, I mean, in those deeper leagues, like I need pitching in a handful of leagues and there's just I can't find it anywhere. And so a guy like Urquidy. Yeah, sure. Why not grab him? Four dollars. That's nothing. Drop in the bucket. So let's talk about his teammate, Chad, who is absolutely he looks like Roger Clemens mixed with Sandy Koufax over his last two outings. He was the central piece of the combined no hitter against the best team in baseball, the New York Yankees. And then he goes out, and I want to say it was against the Angels. Am I right on that one, Chad? Yeah, his Angels were his last start. Yeah, ridiculous. So his last start against the Angels, one hit, one earned run. It was a solo shot. I can't remember who hit it. 14 strikeouts. He's 3-0 and in his last three outings. He has been, Oh, it was Shohei Otani in the first inning. You're going to give up home runs to Shohei Otani. So just to recap here, over this dude's last 19 innings pitched, He's given up three hits, two earned runs. One of them is a solo home run to Shohei Otani. Five walks and, my God, 32 strikeouts. And he's 3-0 and in, in those three outings against the Angels, the Yankees, and the White Sox. So not, you know, walks in the park when you're pitching against those lineups, at least not when Trout and Otani come up for the Angels. So what are you thinking here for Javier? Is this like a breakout? Or should we temper our expectations? Honestly, I'm not really sure. I haven't looked closely at him. And it's just such a stark difference, especially these last two outings. And I'm just curious, like, trying to see, like, did he do anything different with his pitch mix or anything like that? And so I'm I'm trying to pull up his game log on pitcher list because there's some really good, good stuff you can look at there. I mean, a few things that jump out, like, his swinging strike rate on the season, 14.6%. His last two starts are 23.2% and 17.4%. On the season, he is throwing 61.6% fastballs. And over these last two starts, they have been 68.7% and 70.7%. So he's he's leaning on his fastball more heavily as four-seamer. His slider... That's sort of weird. That's been that's sort of all over the place. Like his slider, he uses twenty seven point five percent of the time of the year, is twenty six point one percent against the Yankees, and then all the way down to fourteen point one percent against the Angels. His curveball that he uses six percent of the time was only one point seven percent against the Yankees and eight point one percent against the Angels. Like he sort of, it just looks like he's more, he's leaning more heavily on his fastball is basically what it comes down to over those starts, and that's sort of fascinating the fastball that was also playing up more so his his season velocity on the fastball is 93.7 it was 93.9 against the angels and 94.6 against the yankees that 94.6 is the hardest he's been throwing at all this season yeah i don't know i mean his his csw is higher in those starts including on the fastball like his fastball seems to be more effective i guess i i'm I don't know. Now I'm trying to dig into like, maybe we know something that happened with his fastball. Like, is there something different with the pitch? I don't even know. Yeah, I don't don't know what's different about the fastball because you're right. The the pitch mix doesn't look any different from previous years. But I think it's worth acknowledging this is a guy who was pretty nasty before the season. Like, it shouldn't be too surprising that someone who is just 25 years old and he just turned 25 in March 
is all of a sudden potentially having this breakout because he may not had he may not have had as much hype as your Shane Bozes or Grayson Rodriguez's, but there was a fair amount of hype when Javier first got called up. And and yes, he needs to develop that third pitch, but this was a guy who was posting strikeout rates that were absolutely absurd in the minors. I mean, he, you can go through it. It looks like he moved through the minors at least a little bit quickly, but we're talking about strikeout rates in some cases above 40% at certain levels, like in high A in 2017, his strikeout rate was 41%. So this isn't like completely out of nowhere that he could all of a sudden flip a switch and turn it on. He's young. He's had a good uh, background. He's in a good system, especially that Astro system that's developed pitching in the past. So I don't know what's going on with the pitch mix, if it's changed in these last two outings, but he has been near untouchable. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I feel like now I need to dive deeper into just sort of what he's doing. Like what other than... Again, other than the pitch mix, what's changed? Because it is, it is like I said, it's just more fastballs, and it doesn't seem like I don't know. It doesn't seem like that many more fastballs is what would make the huge difference. Sure, uh, I'm. Yeah, I mean, looking at looking at uh, the SP roundup from the from the first after his last start against against Houston or not not against Houston. He pitches for Houston against LA against the Angels. Nick Pollock was saying that it was all about spotting his four-seamer insanely well at the top of the zone, and that he was able to throw his breakers for strikes 68% of the time. So this makes some sense. If he's spotting his fastball well and his he's able to get his breakers in the zone, then he can lean on his fastball more because he's not like he isn't getting into a situation where like throws a breaker. It's a ball. He's got to go back to it to try to get a swing on it or something like that. Like he's, he's getting the ball in the zone more. And that level of command seems to be what's making the difference. But I know Nick's take on it was that he, he would be a sell high. If somebody views him as a legit top 25 starting pitcher breakout, that was Nick's sort of final line in the SP roundup. So, that's sort of an interesting take. I I want to see what he does if he can keep this up because if he has managed to main if he manages to maintain that kind of command and can lean on that fastball that much, maybe he can keep this up. But I don't know. Command comes and goes for guys a lot. I feel like maybe that's maybe that's not fair. I I, I believe that in talking about his command plus and stuff plus. Eno has said that stuff plus is stickier that like guys who have great stuff have great stuff, whereas command is more likely to change over time. And, and so that gives me a little pause here that if his stuff isn't actually better, he's just throwing it for, to better spots. That seems harder to maintain, but I'd be pretty hesitant to sell him right now. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing I would too, because he's the type of guy who like, maybe you hear those things and you don't trade for him, but you also aren't trading him away after those last two outings. And I hear the stuff versus command argument. And I, I kind of look at it a, a little bit more, I guess, simply would be it. I, I need to see a third pitch be used a lot more where I think he, a young pitcher who's on maybe a hot streak command wise can look really good. But we've seen time and time again, when you don't have that third pitch, it can catch up to you. Now his two pitches are pretty nasty. And that will get him pretty far. And it has to this point. I mean, he's a major league pitcher who's pitching well on one of the best teams in baseball. But from a fantasy perspective, if he's someone I want to invest 
in or trade for and trade away important assets to get. I'd like to see a third pitch start to emerge from Javier more than the the 7% curveball or, or whatever it is that he's using. Yeah, I mean, the, the other things I mentioned the stuff plus and command plus and I'm pulling up, you know, Saris's ranks from his most recent article, which was June 8th, it looks like. And he has Christian Javier 18th. Wow. On his starting pitcher ranks. And that is because his, I mean, it's, it looks like his stuff plus is really what stands out at 119.2 with a command plus of just 96.2, 96.5. That maybe speaks to what Nick was saying that like when the command plays up, Javier is, can be among the best of the best because his stuff is just that good. The question is how often can he make that command play up? And he has for the last couple starts, right? That's what Nick was commenting on in, in the SP roundup. So I mean, looking at all that put together, it, it, yeah, I don't know that I, Maybe I do want to buy in on Christian Javier. Like maybe I do want to go out and try to acquire him if I can. I don't think I like Eno's got him 18th. I don't think I'm willing to pay a top 20 starting pitcher price to get Christian Javier. But would I pay a top 30 starting pitcher price? Top top 40 for sure. Top 30 probably. And if I could do that, there's at least enough backing up his performance to suggest that he can continue to be effective. Yeah. I, I- I'm in 100% agreement. Um, I was excited by these last two outings. Obviously, was not expecting them. But as somebody who who rosters him in a couple of spots, I can I can get behind that excitement. Definitely hearing Eno has him 18th. Love to hear that. So, Chad, let's let's close out this starting pitcher chatter here. We got two more names left, and we can get some quick highlights on them, so we can talk about some awesome June performers. Those two names are Tyler Wells of Baltimore and Merrill Kelly of Arizona. And I I feel like one of them's a lot more boring than the other. Neither of these guys might win you your league, but they're both pitching pretty well, Chad. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had Kelly on one of my auto new teams since the beginning of the year as just a guy who was like, yeah, I'll take a flyer on him. We'll see how he does. And he's just, he's gone from a guy who like, I never used to like, I occasionally used. And now it's like, for the most part, like I think he's starting at Colorado, maybe today, no, yesterday, recently. I don't know. I'm not starting him at Colorado, but other than that, like I'm pretty comfortable putting him in the lineup and, and he's been, he's been sort of excellent for me. I mean, yeah, he started at Colorado on the first, so on, on Friday and he actually didn't find there. He gave up a home run, but it was his only earned run. He had three strikeouts and one walk. You know, the, the big issue with Kelly is like the strikeouts are not super high. And so you, you've got to worry a little bit about, you know, the upside from a fantasy perspective, but he's been really solid and, and he's sort of performed as you'd expect. He has a 3.46 ERA with 3.41 FIP. So there's not anything in here that stands out as like totally unsustainable or anything like that. He's just a very solid non-elite pitcher and that's fine. I'm very happy to have a very solid non-elite pitcher. Yeah, I, I like Kelly, and I, I think he summed him up pretty well there. Obviously, if you're in a strikeouts per nine league or something like that, having a, a K rate below 20% is not great, as you acknowledged. But he, he just seems really good at keeping hitters off balance, and he's an interesting follow-up to Christian Javier, who we talk, we're talking about a guy who's over 60% fastball and then another over 20% slider. Merrill Kelly's the opposite. I mean, he's throwing five different pitches at least 14% of the time. 
and it's it's worked out for him. He doesn't get hit all that hard, and it allows him to stay deeper into games, keeping those lineups off balance, which turns out your wins and your quality starts. Not that he's going to be winning a lot of games for the Diamondbacks, but he does have seven wins here so far through June. So yeah, I, I don't think it's anything unique that are unsurprising from Merrill Kelly. It's just pleasantly like, okay, this is what I was hoping to get out of him. And this is exactly what I'm getting out of him. But I, I would definitely bench him in cores if that is an outing that is coming up. Yeah, I definitely, I also, I just like, I love guys who throw five, six different pitches in, in sort of semi-equal balance. Cause I just think it, it's an interesting thing to watch and it keeps guys off balance. And the, the key to that though, is you have to be, good with a couple of them so like Aaron Savali does that for Cleveland but none of the pitches are particularly good so he has he's days just looking he for balance. something that's working yeah <laughs> yeah but he but he has days where he like gets something working and things sort of fall into place and he ends up pitching pretty well but it's it's hard to sort of bank on whereas when I look at Kelly like he's got a couple of these pitches that I think perform fairly well. He gets relatively high swinging strike rates on like his changeup, for example, like above league average on the changeup. He's above league average on the swing strikes on the sinker. He's right around league average on the curveball. He's right above league average on the four seamer. So what he has is like a bunch of pitches that are all good ish. Like none of them are great, but they're all pretty solid. And that is, I think, just a really nice mix. Yeah. And and actually, it's it's once again a nice transition because Tyler Wells is not that different. He's another sub 20% strikeout guy, but he throws four pitches pretty consistently. And, and he's been on fire lately. So if you look at the game logs for Tyler Wells all throughout June, I mean, pretty stellar, really throughout the entire season, pretty stellar performances. He hasn't given up more than uh, three earned runs since his first start of the season. And most of those are one zero or two earned runs. I think he's got a chance to be Baltimore's all-star representative this year. He's got a 3.09 ERA and a 1.00 whip through 16 starts, only 50 strikeouts through 75 and two thirds innings pitch, like we said. But again, you look at that game log and he's been pitching pretty well. Uh, it, the schedule looks like it hasn't been that hard recently at the Nationals, the Mariners and the Twins, but he did what he was supposed to do. And he's starting to go deeper into outings. That was the other thing I wanted to mention is that in his, his last three of his last five outings, I believe, have all been at least six innings pitched. And as someone who plays in quite a bit of quality starts leagues, that is huge. Guys are doing that less and less, but Tyler Wells is doing it more and more as the season goes on. So, Chad, is there anything you're seeing from Wells that interests you? Is he kind of Merrill Kelly, American League slash younger? What do we got going on there with Tyler Wells? He's not quite Merrill Kelly because he's like his repertoire is really, it's really just four pitches. He has a fifth. He throws a sinker, but it's only 3% of the time. So it's really... Four seamer slider change and curve. That's still a pretty good mix. And I do think, you know, similar to Kelly, like his swing strike rate is above average on the four seamer. It's above average on the changeup. It's below on the slider and the curve. But like he's got a couple of pitches he can go to to get to get swings and misses where he needs them. From that perspective, I I, I like him. I for some reason he feels less real to me, but I'm not really sure I can pinpoint why that is. I think part of it might just the be Jersey. like 
Well, it could be. <laughs> but part of it is, I think, just that the, the FIP is a full run higher than his ERA. Like after his start today, he's got a 3.09 ERA and a 4.10 FIP. And so it, it starts to like Kelly is in the middle of both of those, right? He's sort of around the 3.4 ish on both ERA and FIP. And so there, there's a little bit of a sense for me with Wells that like, I don't know, his his ground ball rate isn't great. And so he might be a little more homer prone. He's avoided homers this year, which is maybe a result of the new new park layout in Camden, but might just be remnants of him having the, the you know, the ball is traveling a lot more now than he did earlier in the season. And so maybe it's just a matter of time until his home run right his home run rate catches up with where it was last year. I don't know. I'm. I like him. I think that he's just gonna. I think he's more like a four ERA than a three ERA, despite what his numbers so far have been. Then that would immediately cool me off on him because if we're if we're talking four or north of four ERA and and no strikeouts and and definitely you know lack of wins. I know Baltimore has been pleasantly surprising to some people, but they're still not a good baseball team. They're a baseball team that is finally improving. But that doesn't mean they're a good baseball team. So Chad cooling on Tyler. Well, big frame, by the way, six foot eight, 255 pounds. That's a big boy coming at you from the mound. But obviously it hasn't resulted in strikeouts like Randy Johnson. Exactly. So let's talk about some July. I keep saying that. Why do I want to erase my own summer vacation? Like, let's summarize July <laughs> and it's three days. It's June. Especially well, we're summarizing June. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, what am I doing here? But let's talk about some some impressive June performers. And and as you said in our notes, when we were talking before the show chat, it, it was really like a month of guys who like we expect to perform well, performed well, <laughs> that kind of deal. But somebody who we talked about in the past in the show that I really like is Brandon Drury. And we talked about him and the adjustments that it looked like he made at the plate, kind of selling out for power, finally getting an opportunity in Cincinnati where it's a great place to hit and he has not slowed down chat not until this week <laughs> he's uh he is let's see well today it looks like he only got one plate appearance today and he doubled before that he was over his last 12 <laughs> oh. so then i was starting to wonder like oh maybe he maybe he did slow down and i don't know before that i mean before that over 12 he had a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight game hitting streak, eight game hitting streak where he was 13 of 36. He had a couple home runs, three doubles, like he had a 190 WRC plus over that 36 plate appearance sample. So like then he got real cold, but now he's got a double again today. So like maybe he's okay. I, I don't know. I mean, you've been higher on him and those changes that he made. And so I think that's like, what do you see that's different? It's just another profile that looks like it's it's selling out a little bit for for power and in a season where it looked it looked early on and I know it's balanced out a little bit where it looked like we were going to be starved for power. I was looking for it on all corners and I was very lucky to get Drury. I want to say in TGFBI and he's been like a lock into my lineup. The fly ball rate has definitely come down since we last spoke because it's not as high as I remember it being, but he's still above league average in fly ball rate and the line drive rate up at twenty five point three. We'll take that like that's especially in great American ballpark. And I think that's an important part that we got to keep in mind is we're talking about a terrific place to hit. And again, the pull rate, not to keep going back to the same stats, but it's just like, all right, if I'm looking at a guy for a power breakout, is he doing the bare minimum to hit for power? And to me, pulling the ball and hitting it in the air 
is definitely a place to look. I don't think his slumps will ever be that bad because his strikeout rate will will take a 22%. That's about league average. He's not, you know, some 28% strikeout guy or 30% like Christopher Morrell, where I think the he can kind of bottom out. The launch angle is there. He's posting a career high barrel rate by a mile. And I feel like it's almost like a broken record where I was saying these same things a month and a half, two months ago. And so now I'm like, I'm just in like this. This has got to be if he's done this throughout pretty much consistently up until this last week, of course, then I see no reason to back away. And obviously, Cincinnati's going to continue to play him. He is probably a, a prime trade candidate, but that's easier said than done for them to move him. I, I, hey, I'd like to see him maybe come to Fenway or something like that. But bottom line, he's, he's a player who plays a position that's been tough to fill this year. He's performed to it. I'm not saying this is some like monster breakout. But I think instead it's more a reliable source of power that isn't going to like bottom out your other categories, which seems to be the case with a lot of guys who when you start shopping for who can hit for power, who can steal, it usually means you're sacrificing something elsewhere. There's really not much to sacrifice when it comes to Brandon Drury. Yeah, in terms of him, like the park and whether or not he stays at Great American, like if they trade him, which they may want to, I don't. I don't know that anyone like Brandon Drury is still like journeyman Brandon Drury, right? Like his trade value just won't be that high, I don't think. And so the question for the Reds is, do they think that he's someone that they can be sort of a key cog for them moving forward? Because if they think he even remotely could be that, they might as well keep him. If they think that he's not going to be around anyways, they're going to end up selling him for like pennies on the dollar and somebody will take a shot at him. And then the question is, where does he land? And you know, that remains to be seen. Yeah, unless it's cores, it's not going to be that exciting. And it is worth pointing out while we talk about Great American Ballpark, he's got an 897 OPS at home, 897 batting 299. On the road, his OPS is 787 with a 231 average. I mean, those look like cores home road splits for a lot of guys. So I, I don't even mean to bring up the trade thing. I haven't read a single rumor. He just kind of, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He kind of fits the profile of a guy who looks like an easy For cash sure. in trade. Like him and Tommy Pham both, right? Yeah, I mean, he he certainly looks like a kind of guy who who you're not building around him. And so if you're not going anywhere, you might as well move on. I, I do think my concern with him from a trade perspective is like, yes, it's park related. But the bigger thing is I feel like the place he's most likely to land is some team like I, I don't want to speculate that he goes to Yankee Stadium, but let's let's assume he does. But it's a team like the Yankees, where even if he goes to a great park to hit, he's going there to be like the guy off the bench who occasionally pinch hits. Yep, like he's not. I, I don't think he's likely to land. There aren't a lot of contenders where I think he lands as an immediate starter. Although it, it could be interesting with with obviously the expanded playoffs now and the extra wild card team with more teams kind of in that obviously increases the likelihood that there is a team that would be willing to maybe pay a little bit more and bring him in as a starter, which could be interesting. I would be surprised if he's not moved. The more we think about this, he just seems like a perfect candidate. He also seems like the type of guy would be moved soon, like, like well before the deadline. That's just pure speculation though. And, and obviously if he does get moved, now you really need to rethink your evaluation of him, especially if, like Chad said, he goes to a place like Yankee Stadium where he won't, right? They're they're already overloaded with middle infielders and infielders. But if he did and, and he becomes, you know, like a guy who only starts against a certain side of the mound or whatever it might be, he becomes a platoon guy. So for right now, though, with him playing in Great American Ballpark, until he's traded, I'm riding the wave. I'm locking him into my lineups in those deeper leagues because he has been awesome. 
So who else? Yeah, for sure. Who else we got here, Chad, that you wanted to break down from from June? That was, I did not say July. He was the big one for me. Is there a player from June that you really want to take a look at? I, I know Cronenworth was a name you kicked around. Is there somebody else that, that sticks out? I don't know if there's anyone else on here that we really need to break down per se. I mean, I was just looking like Drury had the number nine Woba among qualified hitters in June. The other guys in sort of the top, let's read off the top 15 and we can sort of comment where there's reason to comment. We don't have to go into a bunch of depth, but like Jordan Alvarez was number one. He was number one by a lot. He was very, very good in June. My boy. You probably noticed. (laughs) Josh Bell, number two. Like, you know, you don't expect him to be the second best hitter in baseball, but no huge surprise. He is one of the keeper cut mascots. That's probably insulting. Speaking of keeper cut mascots. (laughs) Oh, no. Speaking of some of our show favorites, Alejandro Kirk is third. Oh, that's right. Pause. Chad, how did we do an episode about victory laps where you did not take a victory lap on Alejandro Kirk? That's like your most slam dunk pick of the season. So I'm going to give the floor to Chad here, everybody. So he can tell you how right he was on Alejandro Kirk. Very. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing more to say. He's just, he's just a really good hitter. Yeah. He is. And he's always been a really good hitter. It's just a matter of finding the time. And so once he sort of like, he made 25, he got in 25 games, had 102 playing appearances in June. And that's really the biggest thing is he just needed that kind of regular playing time and he's getting it. So, so here's here. I have no need to talk about him further. Oh, but we'll <laughs> answer this for me. Is he the best catcher in fantasy baseball? I'm thinking I'm trying to figure out if there's I mean, my initial instinct is to just be like, yes, he is because I can't really think of who else it would be. I um, just for the record, I absolutely think he is. And I don't think it's close. Yeah, I mean, he's playing basically every day because he's DHing. And he is hitting better than like most other hitters regardless of position. So I think the answer has to be yes. Yeah, the under the hood stuff, Will Smith is close, but Kirk's better. Kirk walks more than he strikes out. And that's close for Smith, especially for a catcher. 15% K rate, 11% walk rate, but Kirk's just better. I, I I think he's the best yeah. catcher in fantasy baseball. You're going to win all your leagues this year because of that. I don't have him in that many. It's <laughs> <laughs> always how it goes. Yeah. So continuing down our list, Paul Goldschmidt, Kyle Schwarber, Byron Buxton, Reese Hoskins, another guy who we maybe could at least talk about for a moment. Like I'm a big Reese Hoskins fan. I've got him in a couple of leagues. I, I've, I've been a fan of his for a long time and he got off to sort of a slow start this year, but he is, was somewhat quietly excellent in June. Like I didn't even really realize he was having this good in June until I started looking at the these numbers. But he had seven home runs. He had a 306, 414, 612 triple slash. Like that is a that is a solid month right there. So he was really good. Carlos Correa, eighth on the list. We already talked about Brandon Drury. This guy, Mike Trout, who you may have heard of, was 10th. Jose Abreu, 11th, like sort of resurgent Jose Abreu and I Somehow that guy just keeps hitting. I keep feeling like he should be done. Whatever, whatever the opposite of my victory lap is, like I have been down on Jose Abreu for so many years because how could he possibly keep going? And yet here we are. <laughs> Rafael Devers was 12th. And then Jake Cronenworth, 13th. Like another guy who I, I really like Cronenworth. I was very sort of frustrated with his early season. He was really struggling early on, but he's really come back. I mean, he had a very, very solid month. He He's another guy who is a little bit of a, like 
he doesn't do a ton of fantasy-friendly stuff. He isn't hit for a ton of power. He doesn't steal a ton of bases, but he's just a very good hitter. And I like guys who are very good hitters. No, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm in on Cronenworth, too. I, I, he was a little too pricey for my blood, but I think he's never received the proper hype because he was an old rookie. And and his 2020 no. season coincided with his teammate, Fernando Tatis Jr., turning into one of the best players in baseball. So I feel like he's always kind of flown under the radar. And it's good to see him right the ship because I, I went and picked him up in league where he was dropped because I just thought, that's if you liked him as a top 120 player, how are you dropping him before the end of June? And and obviously, he's he's come into his own. Yeah, for sure. Brian Reynolds, another guy who got off to a bit of a slow start this year, had, was 14th, and then Dansby Swanson, 15th. So it's sort of interesting because I feel like I look at these monthly lists. I try to look at this every once in a while, and I feel like there's always, like, I feel like there's always really random guys. Guys on these lists that you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> and that wasn't really the case here. Like, I, I mean, Drury is probably the biggest sort of outsider on this list. Everyone else in this, and Drury, we've, we've been talking about for weeks now. Everyone else in this list, you could have found somebody out there, some analyst out there who would have told you, this guy is really good. So I don't know. It's just interesting to me that there weren't that many sort of surprise names. We'll have to do this again in June. Or No, you got me doing the opposite. <laughs> We're going to have to do this again in July and see at the end of July and see if there's just as few surprises or if we get a little bit more of an interesting list for that. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure we will. But Chad, I think we're, we're heading over the one hour mark now. So I think that'll do it for us. Folks, thanks for sticking with us after our nice vacation week. Keeper Cut is well-rested and, and coming at you hot again every week now. Please follow Chad at, at Chad Young. You can follow me at, at Pete B. Baseball, and you can follow the show at, at Keep or Cut. Please give us a follow, ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. We love that stuff, and we will see you next Monday. Bye.